Morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody out this morning on a nice, warm, beautiful, sunshiny day. A little chilly this morning at our house. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see everybody here. We're thankful for those of you that are visiting with us. We'd like to invite you back again if you will be here at 6 this evening, good Lord willing, and on Wednesday at 7 for devotional and Bible class. Just a couple things before we start. We want to remind the men, March 15th and 16th is our men's retreat. If you'd sign up for that, we'd appreciate it. Also this week, the pantry from the Fairland Student Council has dropped off about a thousand items in our pantry. Brian was telling us earlier. That's, that's a good thing. Also, my sister Carolyn came home on Friday. We appreciate all the thoughts and the askings and the prayers. She's getting set up with home health and try to move more to being normal again. If you'd like to follow along, I'd like to read from Matthew 6. Verses 25, 26, and 27 before we begin. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it, is not life more than food and body than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life that you've given us for your son who came and died for each of us. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to come to worship this morning. We pray that the things we do will be in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. We ask that you be with Chris as he presents us with the lesson and John as he leads us into singing and as we surround that table to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus, we ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins. We're thankful for the community in which we live, and we pray that we let a light shine in this community. We ask your blessings on our country, the leaders of our country, that they look to you for guidance and help in their decisions. Bless us, Father, as we go through this service. Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 532. Praise him, praise him. <clears throat> praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, oh, Thank you. 
Next hymn this morning, number 499, Oh, to be like thee, 499, sing the first three verses. <clears throat> then after that, Brother Joe Robinson will have our scripture reading and prayer. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, this is my heart, longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all the treasures Jesus my perfect likeness to bear. Oh, to be like me, oh, to be like me, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in my sweetness, come in my Good morning. Our Bible reading will be com coming from Genesis 24, verses 1 through 4. That's Genesis 24, 1 through 4. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest, eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had. Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the 
of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of a, the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house uh, this morning uh, to study your word, to lift your name in praise, and just sing of your goodness. We pray that you'll be with Chris as he brings the message this morning, Father. Open our hearts and our minds that we might receive it, that we might uh, use it in the coming days and weeks ahead, that we might share your love for our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and all those who uh, we come in contact with within this community. We pray that uh, you find us faithful to be a light unto this community, Father. We pray for the uh, people that are on our list of our sick and ailing, that you would be with them. Bless them, Father, and we pray it be your will that uh, you might heal them and bring them back to us. We pray for this country, Father, that uh, we might turn from our way, uh, evil ways that uh, we see all around us, that you would use us to uh, bring revival back into this country, Father, that we might lift you up and uh, just bless you. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Next hymn this morning, number 764, When We Meet in Sweet Communion. <clears throat>
as we remember Christ in this Lord's Supper this morning, I'd like to read a passage from John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. I wonder what the people thought when they heard John the Baptist describe Jesus in this way as the Lamb of God. Perhaps their minds went back to Exodus and the deliverance of Egypt and the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12, it reads uh, in verse number three, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When they thought about the Lamb of God, maybe they were thinking about those sacrifices offered by the priest. In Exodus 29, it reads, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, for I will meet you to speak with you. And you can read all different sorts of sacrifices that the priest would, would uh, conduct there in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Maybe their minds went back perhaps to the prophecy in Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the coming Messiah. In verse number six, it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah goes on to say at the end, He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many. As New Testament Christians, we know the Lamb of God description, what that means for Jesus is our Savior. And Peter describes it in this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was indeed ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And so this morning we remember that sacrifice and great love that Jesus had for each one of us in this Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me, please?
Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the great love that you've shown for us. Lord, we're mindful now of the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior. We pray, Lord, you would please bless this bread. We know it represents the body that was broken for us. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is described as the lamb one final time in the book of Revelation. In chapter 5, we see a, a scene of the throne room of heaven. And it reads in verse number 11, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So we remember Christ in this Lord's Supper and we honor him for that sacrifice that he did for each one of us. Let's again bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we continue our thanks for the gift of your Son, and we're mindful of the blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord, for the great love that you've shown for us. 
and that he was willing to do that for us. We pray, Lord, you would please bless this cup unto each of us as we partake of it. In Jesus' name, amen. completes our Lord's Supper this morning. We take this opportunity now to take up the collection for the work of the church as we follow that New Testament example. Before doing so, would you again bow with me in prayer? Dear God, our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for all the many blessings that you give to us, Lord, each day. We're thankful that you uh, watch over us and take care of us and provide those things that we need. We pray, Lord, that the funds that are collected here today would be used for the growth of the church and would bring glory to your name. Lord, we pray you would please help us to be shining examples in our community. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 332, In the Desert of Sorrow and Sin. <clears throat> so at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. In the desert of sorrow and sin, the white man's shadow is alone. With the wolf and his night with him, my dream and my hope in one. I stood at a dream of a life in a church that he dreamed. Invitation hymn for this morning, number 768, While We Pray and While We Plead, 768, Brother Chris. Good morning. We're in the middle of our series on Genesis. Uh, we're talking about um, a guy named Isaac. You may not know very much about Isaac. The Bible doesn't tell us very much about Isaac. It tells us an awful lot about Abraham, his dad, and tells us, tells us a lot about Jacob, his son, but it doesn't tell us just a ton about Isaac. But what it does tell us, I think, is informative for us. And so this morning, we're going to spend our time walking through the life of Isaac. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 24. If you've got your Bibles, you're flipping over to Genesis chapter 24. I do want to make a couple of disclaimers. We have our uh, um, Isaac trading cards. Again, today, last week we did Abraham. This week we're doing Isaac. So for the kids or adults, if you want one, find one of our four elders and tell them a fact about Isaac. And they will hand you one of these very cool cards. Uh, several of our ladies have worked on filling out the information for these cards. And Amber Payne has done a great job 
designed them. We're thankful for, for their hard work there. And these things are, are kind of neat. So any opportunity we have to push you toward Bible study, that, that's a good thing. So second disclaimer is last week we went to, uh, so rather we went to Freed Hardman University's lectureship. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, on our way down there, uh, as our tradition has been, we stopped at uh, Lehman Avenue Church of Christ in Bowling Green. This is where Neil Pollard and Hiram Kemp share the pulpit. Um, and Neil preached about Isaac. And I walked up to him after uh, services and said, you did such a good job preaching through Isaac. I'm trashing what I did. I'm going to preach your sermon. <laughs> so a lot of the thoughts from today's lesson come from Neil Pollard's lesson a couple weeks ago on Isaac, the man in the middle. So let's talk about Isaac. Who is this? He is Abraham's son. He is the child of promise. Um, Abraham prays. Excuse me. God blesses Abraham with a son. He's, he's 75 and doesn't have a child yet. Um, he's 99 and doesn't have a child yet, but he knows he's coming. At least by the time he's 99, he knows that he's coming the very next year. So God's going to provide for him an heir through Sarah, his wife. <coughs> but who is this guy? Who is this man? Well, I suppose before uh, we get too much into Isaac, we need to talk about this servant that uh, Joe read for us this morning from, uh, from Genesis chapter 24. So if you remember the story, Abraham brings in his most trusted servant, is how the text talks about this guy. He's Abraham's oldest servant. He, in fact, is in charge of everything that Abraham has. He's going to leave now, this servant is. We don't know his name. He's not named in Scripture. But he's going to leave Abraham's service, and he's going to go in search of Isaac's wife, a much more important job than any job that he had held as the steward of Abraham's household. So he goes on this journey, and this guy is interesting. We all need somebody like this in our life. You need a most trusted servant in your life. Let me tell you why. Let me show you this guy's story. So after he agrees to go, he starts this journey. It's about 500 miles. Not a short journey. This is going to take him a couple of months to get there. Travel in his day is by camel. There's dangers. Uh, there's no motels. Uh, so this is fraught with danger. It's uncomfortable. It's hard, right? And it's long. This guy does this for a couple of months. And so when he gets there, he, do you remember the story? He prays, doesn't he? He, he talks to Yahweh and he says, he, he basically makes a deal with him. He knows he's not smart enough to be able to find the perfect woman for Isaac. Abraham's already made this, this pretty clear to him. Isaac needs a special woman. She's not coming from the Canaanites that Abraham's living around. She needs to be special. <coughs> so she's going to come from Abraham's family back in Haran. So that's where the servant goes back to. Back to Iran, and he finds there a well. 
And so he's looking for a special type of woman, right? So what is his prayer? What's his, his deal with God based on this? He looks at the well and says, whatever woman comes and I ask drink, and she says, I'll not only give you a drink, but I'm too, that's going to be the woman for me. Now, or that's going to be the woman for Isaac. What does he learn about Rebecca there, right? Whatever woman comes down this pipe and is willing to not only draw water for him, but also for his camels, is a hard worker. She's kind. She's compassionate, right? Um, he's got, we know from the text, 10 camels that come along with him. You know how much water a camel can drink on a daily basis? Something like 30 gallons of water per camel. This would have taken her most of the morning. And doing whatever it was she was doing, the servant pictures a woman who is willing to make sacrifices for someone she doesn't know to make him more comfortable. He's got a pretty good plan, doesn't he? This is the kind of woman that most of us would want to marry. This is kind of the woman that most of you want to be or are, right? This is a good woman who cares about other people. And so we'll come back to that. So put a pin in Rebecca for just a second. But think about this servant again. He is talking to Yahweh. He is a spiritual man. But when he finds Rebecca, and she does offer not only him water, but she spends the morning filling up the trough for his camels. And then he finds out she's the right family. She may not be the right girl, but she's the right family. Uh, she, she's in the right lineage. He says, do you have room in your father's house for me and for my camels? She does. And so she invites him back home for supper that night after her hard day of work. What I want you to see is this guy's been traveling for hundreds of miles for months. He's dirty, he's tired, he's hungry, and there's a veritable feast set in front, set out in front of this guy. But what does he do? Read the text. Genesis 24, 33. The food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I've said what I have to say. And that's when Laban says, speak on. What do you, what do you want? What, why are you here? That's what the servant, that's what he's talking about. Um, he wants to take care of business before anything else happens. I've traveled these long miles. I've traveled all these months. And I'm here for a reason. And I'm, I'm ready to fulfill this purpose. Right? He's putting himself on the back burner. He's putting himself second. He's putting his interests, his wants Maybe some of us might even consider his needs. He's putting them second. And he's putting Isaac's needs, Isaac's wants, someone else's for his own, right? <coughs> we need somebody like that in our lives. You need someone like that in your life who's not only spiritual, who not only knows God, but is willing to sacrifice for you. That's what we're all called to be, right? Philippians 2, verse 3 says that you put, you count the, in, uh, well, come on. This cough has affected my brain. Um, so <laughs> Philippians 2, 3 says that you, you count the needs of others, you count others as more significant than yourselves. There it is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
That's the kind of people we ought to be. That's the kind of man this, this servant is. We all need somebody like that in, the, in our lives. Look for those people. Find those people. They're essential. If you're going to live a godly life, you're going to have to find somebody who's in your corner no matter what. But that person also needs to be spiritual. They got to know God. Some people are in our corner and they're giving us bad advice. They're giving us not spiritual advice. They're giving you advice and pushing you into lifestyles that are not right. You need somebody in your life that's not just in your corner. Well, our generation might call it a ride-or-die friend, right? You need somebody like that who's in your corner, but they're also, more importantly, in God's corner. Somebody that knows God but also loves you. You need somebody like that. We call them mentors or disciple-makers. You need somebody like that that can speak into your life spiritual truths, that can rebuke you when you're wrong, that can encourage you when you're down. You need somebody like that. That's who this guy is. That's who he reminds us of. We need somebody like that. So Isaac the man has somebody like that, and don't miss it. Some of the achievements that Isaac has in life can be attributed to people like this in his life. The achievements that you're going to get in life, the maturity that you gain towards God can be attributed to people like this in your life. Also, the decline of your spirituality can be attributed to the reverse of people like this in your life. If you're listening to people who are giving you bad advice, who are tearing down the church, who are questioning God, if you're listening to people like that, the decline of your spiritual growth can be attributed to people like this. Bad company, come on, you know, bad company corrupts good more, right? We need somebody like this in our life who not only knows and loves us, but also knows and loves God and can speak truth into our lives. Talk to me about Isaac the husband, though. Here's a guy who, he loves his wife. He loves Rebecca. Isaac is an interesting test case uh, as far as uh, husbands go. But let's, let's think about their marriage individually first. Let's, let's think about them as individuals before their marriage because when we come into marriage, it's two individuals coming, right? And we bring all of our baggage and we bring all of uh, our, our oddities and our eccentricities into that marriage. And so who are these people, right? <coughs> often uh, we think, well, I'll fix them when, they, when we marry. Does that ever work? I've never seen a scenario in which that works. Um, we'll change when they marry. They won't change, right? This is, this is who they are. Now, is change possible? Absolutely. Through the power of Christ, he changes us and actually demands that we transform more and more into his image. Change is possible, but don't marry somebody because you want them to change. That's not a good way to go about that. So who are these people individually? Well, we already know about Rebecca a little bit, right? We're not told a ton about her through Scripture, but what we do know about her is impressive. She is kind. She's a hard worker. More than most people would have been, put yourself in her shoes as some older guy 
who has a whole menagerie of, of people with him who are, as you would think, certainly capable of drawing water for themselves. And you walk up to him and he says, hey, can I have a drink of water? And you just automatically say, without prompting, offer to fill hundreds of gallons of water for his camels and him. Yeah, she's a hard worker. She's also kind and thoughtful. So we know a little bit about her. What do we know about Isaac? Well, if you fast forward, um, well, look, look here in Genesis 24, um, right before verse 67. Um, in verse 65, when they are coming down the, the field to meet Isaac, the servants brought Rebekah back to her, um, back to his master Isaac. But she looks out in the field and she sees Isaac. Do you know why Isaac's there? He's meditating. That's what scripture says. He's, he's meditating. So what's he, what's he meditating about? Well, the word could mean a lot of different things. It could just mean he's out for a walk. But why's he there in the first place? What's just happened? His mom's died. Sarah has just died. Um, and he's obviously distraught. In fact, you see that um, in, in this passage um, behind me. But what's he doing out in the field? I think he's probably out there crying out to God. He's in pain. He's hurt. Um, he's heartbroken. And so what's he do when he's heartbroken? He takes that to God. That's what spiritual people do. We don't back away from him. We, we lean into him, right? We lean into that relationship. And so that's what um, Isaac's doing here. Earlier in uh, Isaac's life, we see that uh, Abraham tries to, attempts to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac's a young guy at this point. We don't know exactly how old. We talked about this a little bit in class this morning. But the word that's used there for lad is used of Isaac, which could mean he was 13 to 18 to 22. So he's old enough at this point to resist being sacrificed. But we're never told that he does. He's submissive at the very least. Um, and at the most, I think maybe we're meant to see here that he's got this, this burgeoning faith of his own. There's something here that he understands that he's laying down this altar. Abraham didn't overpower him. This is something that Isaac not volunteered to do, but accepted. So we've already seen that he's submissive as well. So we know a little bit about these, this couple before they ever this marriage. But when they start, when they begin their marriage, we enter into something like a marriage clinic. Um, and so Isaac and Rebecca are going to help us a little bit here as we think about marriage. The very first thing I want you to see is that he loved her here in Genesis 24, verse 67. You know how often that's said of, of men loving women in Scripture? It's not often. But Isaac loved Rebecca. So let's tease that out a bit. What's, what's that mean? What's that look like? Well, <coughs> sorry. Rebecca's going to be barren. Like his mother, Sarah was. Rebecca's going to be barren for 20 years. She's in a faraway country, man. Really far from home. Um, it's a bit like 
in her situation would be a bit like you walking down a dark alley in Chicago. Her going so far, 500 miles away from her family, marrying a guy she doesn't know. This is a recipe for disaster up in here, especially when she can't conceive. Um, he could simply throw her away. He could abuse her. So she's, she's putting herself out here a little bit. Um, but when she can't conceive for 20 years, what does Isaac do? This is a measure of the man. What does he do? He starts praying for her. We need to pray for our wives. Right, guys? And ladies, you need to pray for your husbands. We need to be praying for each other, letting each other know that we're praying for one another, praying for each other together, um, voicing those, those hurts and those joys to the Father together. Isaac and Rebecca indict us, don't they? That's may not be something we're, we're good at. We learned that from Isaac and Rebecca during their marriage clinic that strong couples pray together. He takes her needs, her heartbreak before the Father. And do you know what happens? God finds a solution for her heartbreak, giving her twins. So he prays for her. Um, that's one of the things it means to love, right? He loved her. And so what's that mean? Well, one of the things it means is that he prayed for her. He also kept the lines of communication open. They did an awful lot of things wrong. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca, their marriage is tumultuous and problematic, an awful lot like a lot of ours. But they did an awful lot of things right, too. Um, and one of the things that they did eventually did right was to keep the lines of communication open. So they're going to be able to talk through tough situations. They don't ignore them. They don't sweep them under the rug. Um, they don't get mad and, and confront each other and yell. This isn't how they function. This is, they're talking this, these things out in an effort to maintain unity and to cherish the relationship that they're in. So you're going to have to keep lines of communication open as well. <coughs> Sorry. In, 20, in Genesis 24, 67, we're reminded that we need to turn toward each other for comfort. Rebecca shows up just in time to comfort Isaac after his mother's death. Again, he's heartbroken. Um, things have gone very, very poorly for him. Um, his world is shattered, and all of a sudden this beautiful woman shows up just... The, the new marriage, it's not just the honeymoon that makes this a comfort for Isaac. Rebecca's presence, her personality, um, her way of treating Isaac comforted him throughout the years. Throughout those 20 years she was bearing, he comforted her, she comforted him. You need to turn toward each other for comfort. Here's an interesting point, too, as we think about Isaac, the husband. Abraham has multiple wives. Isaac's dad, he has Sarah. He also has Hagar uh, for, for a while. And then he marries uh, a lady named Keturah after Sarah dies. Abraham had multiple wives. We're living in a period of history where this is something that God didn't um, enjoy. This is not something that brought him pleasure, but it is something he allowed. Um, and so Abraham 
has multiple wives. And Isaac's son, Jacob, we know he has four wives, doesn't he? Um, and 12 children. So Isaac's dad has multiple wives. His son has multiple wives. But Isaac is a one-woman man. There's something to be said for that, isn't there? In Scripture, I know we're talking about a period in history where people had multiple wives and God allowed this. But Isaac was loyal to her. And she was loyal to him. Again, their marriage is not perfect. Lots of things go wrong here, and you see the fallout from that in their story. But one of the things I think we can take away from this is that they were loyal to each other. You need to be loyal to each other in marriage. You need to speak well of your spouse. You need to honor them in public as well as in private. There never needs to be a a situation where they might question your loyalty to them. So that's Isaac the husband. I spend just a few minutes talking about Isaac the neighbor. Um, again, here's a guy who's living out the Sermon on the Mount before Jesus ever spoke it, right? So <clears throat> he's going to travel around like his dad does. <coughs> he's a bit of a nomad. Um, and so Isaac's going to live in a spot, and he's going to uncover the well that Abraham uh, dug. Abraham digs the well. Abraham dies. Isaac moves away from that spot, and the the Canaanites come in, and they fill in the well, and then they move on. Years later, Isaac comes back. He uncovers, redigs the well, and then what happens? Well, this passage tells us that those guys came in, the Canaanites, the Philistines came in, and they started fighting over the well. And so, um, here in verse 19, this is the second well that this has happened to now. But when Isaac's servants dug, the, dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water's ours. So he called the name of the well Esak because they contended with him. And you know what he did? He left. He went somewhere else. And he dug another well. This is the third well now. And finally, he's going to find... A place where there's nobody there to, to quarrel with him. Uh, and, and that's where he's going to set up shop. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But Isaac, the neighbor, doesn't demand his own rights. This guy's okay being taken advantage of. He's okay being run over. Jesus would put it like this. He's okay turning the other cheek, right? When someone offends you, what did Jesus require you to do? You, you turn the other cheek. If someone asks for your cloak, you give them your coat, too. Your coat was an, was an inalienable right. That's how we would think about it in first century Judaism. They could not take your cloak, your coat. It was meant for to keep you warm at night. You might uh, freeze to death at night if you don't have your coat. If you're homeless <coughs> and you've given your coat, they have to find you before sunset and give you your coat back so you don't freeze to death. Jesus says, you let them keep your coat. Even more than that, if they ask for your cloak, you give them your coat too. You give up your rights. That's who we are. That's who we are. When, when we were baptized into Christ, that's, that's what we agreed to. I, I'm not my own anymore, and I'm going to give up these things. And that's what Isaac's doing. He's not insisting on his wells. His dad dug these wells. He could have stood and fought. Would he have won? Maybe he would have won. It's not what he does, though. It's not who he is. 
He just ta- he accepts the loss and moves on. And he goes to another battle, and the exact same thing happens. And you would think at some point, frustration would get the best of him, and he would get ready to fight, right? He never does. He's got his problems. He's not perfect, right? But he's okay being taken advantage of. That's something we need to learn. We don't, we don't, take, we don't get taken advantage of very well, do we? When someone takes advantage of you, what do you do? Push back, right? It's a natural reaction, especially for us who have grown up in this culture, that this is mine and I'll keep it, and if you try to take it, I'm going to defend it. It's not a very Christian culture. We're okay being taken advantage of. It's one of the things Isaac helps us with here. He kind of puts a faith, that idea, being taken advantage of. Lastly, I want you to meet Isaac, worshiper. This is what happens when he is able to settle down there at the third well. (coughs) What does he do? And I want you to notice the priorities, how he prioritizes what he does. Genesis 26, verse 25. So he built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Did you see it? What's this guy do first? He worships. He puts God first. Everything else is second. The very first thing he does is worship. And then we might say he built his house, right? He pitched his tent. But the very first thing he was intent on doing, the most important thing to him was the Lord was worship, was connecting with him, was being his man. That was the most important thing to Isaac, was being God's man. And after he was God's man, after he had returned thanks, after he had praised him, after he had reconnected with him, then all the other stuff could fall into line. It sounds an awful lot like Matthew 6, 33, doesn't it? Seek second, God's kingdom. Seek third. Seek after your kid's baseball game. Seek after your hobbies. How does he phrase that again? Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. He's going to provide all the things you need. He may not, he may not provide all the things you want. But he's going to provide all the things you need if you seek his kingdom first. Reminds us again of Proverbs, doesn't it? Where he says, uh, unless a man builds, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Isaac was concerned about God building his house. We better be just as concerned about God building our house. We need to put worship first. We need to put the Lord first. We need to seek his kingdom before we try anything else, before we pursue any other pursuits before we go after anything else, before we have any other devotions, and more than any other devotions, we need to seek his kingdom. We need to put him first. Else, those who build that alternative lifestyle, build it in vain. It won't work. It only works if you seek him first. And so where are you at this morning? Are you like Isaac, seeking God with everything you've got? Relying on him to to build your house and 
of first importance, seeking Him and His kingdom. I hope you are. I know so many of you are, are doing so well and, and striving towards the upward call in Christ, right? Some of us are struggling. If you're struggling, we want to be there for you, to pray for you, that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing? While we pray and while we breathe, while we see Good morning. Good to see each of you here this morning. Just a few announcements here. Um, this coming weekend is the Challenge Youth Conference, CYC. If you're attending that, they're asking if you be at the building at 9 a.m. on Friday so they can get the bus loaded and have a prayer, and the bus will be pulling out around 9.30. Again, that's on Friday. Also, um, they're asking if you can provide snacks. Uh, I know they always appreciate that. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer of items that they're needing. And if you can bring those by uh, Wednesday, um, that would be great. Again, I know they would appreciate that. Reminder that today, uh, Jeremy's Life Group's hosting Share Your Love Meal right after services. And that's for widows, widowers, and uh, those that are single. Also, uh, this evening, the deacons will be meeting at 5 p.m. And we just encourage all deacons to, uh, to come to that meeting and then the elders and deacons will be meeting right after services this evening. As Jerry mentioned, uh, just planning out uh, March 15th and 16th will be the men's retreat at Howes Mill. 
prayer list. I just continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Martin, and Jackie Hutchinson, uh, Friday Simpson, Roger Kaufman, and Jim Haney in our prayers. And make sure you pick up a Rome journal on your way out to uh, see if all those that are on the prayer list. And also let's make sure that we're keeping our shut-ins uh, in our prayers as well. Uh, that is all the announcements that I have. I invite everyone back this evening at uh, 6 p.m. for our evening services, and then again on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for our Bible study. We will have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 243, Home of the Soul. We'll sing the first two verses, and then Brother Alan Payne will have a prayer. <clears throat> This was the price we had paid, and to our labor's Lord, rest to our souls will be dead, on the earth no more. Home of the soul, beautiful home, there we shall rest, never be known, free from all care, happy and high, Jesus is there. He is the Lord, walk in the storm, though we are weak, die for hope, longing for thee, beautiful home of the Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day you've blessed us with, for the opportunity we have to be together with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to worship you and sing praises into your name. Father, we pray that we'll take the lesson that we've learned here this day and apply it to our hearts and always be willing to put you first in everything we do, Father. We pray that you'll watch over all of us and keep us safe as we travel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>